If you're a sports fan, you know that there are some moments in sports history that you'll never forget. Like the 1936 Olympics when Jesse Owens won four gold medals. Or that first National League game that Jackie Robinson played in. Or that NBA game where Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points. Or the immaculate reception, that, that catch that Franco Harris made from Terry Bradshaw. Or what about the catch that Joe Montana threw to, to Dwight Clark. There are those moments in sports history that, that we'll never forget. But then there are other moments in sports history that we would like to forget. But we will never forget. Like last fall. The second game of the NFL season, the Buffalo Bills were playing the, San, um, the Los Angeles Chargers. It was halftime. It was 28-6 at halftime. They were in the locker room, and Vontae Davis, a quarterback for Buffalo, up and quit the game. He wasn't injured. He wasn't benched. He just took his ball and went home. He quit. He threw in the towel. He didn't finish the game. He had played for 10 years. He had been a Pro Bowl pick two times, and he just flat out quit. He didn't finish. Or what about Bobby Isaacs? Bobby Isaacs won 73 NASCAR races. He was 170 top 10 finishes. He is in the NASCAR Sports Hall of Fame. But the thing that he will most be remembered for is the 1973 Talladega 500. He was leading that race up until the 90th lap. And on the 90th lap, he pulled into the pit, got out of his car, and didn't get back in it. He didn't finish the race. This is what he told the owner. He said, I heard a voice tell me to park this thing, and that's exactly what I did. He didn't finish the race. But I think the most famous of all is Roberto Duran. Roberto Duran had a 30-year boxing career. He won four titles in four different weight divisions. His most famous defeat was when he defeated undefeated welterweight champion Sugar Ray Leonard, 1980, June of 1980. They immediately called for a rematch. And they had to rematch in November of 1980. And in that particular bout, Roberto Duran was being whooped. Sugar Ray Leonard was, was doing whatever he wanted to do with Roberto Duran. And in the eighth round, Roberto Duran turned to the ref and in Spanish, he said, No mas, no more. I quit. I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. He didn't even finish the fight. Now today, I want us to look at someone who did finish the fight. Someone who did finish the race. Someone who did finish the course. And because of that, you and I have the hope of happiness here on earth. And we have the hope of an eternal home with Jesus forever. Now if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. For the last five weeks, we've been in a series that we've called Famous Last Words. And we've been looking at the last words that Jesus made from the cross, the, the, the last statements that he made 
before he died. His very first words were words of forgiveness. Over and over again, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He didn't say that once. He didn't say it twice. He said it over and over. Father, forgive them who betrayed me. Father, forgive them who condemned me. Father, forgive them who who nailed me to the cross. And I believe Jesus is up in heaven even right now making intercession for us. He is at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the throne of God, I believe, saying, Father, forgive them, forgive you, forgive me, because we still don't know what we do. And that lets us know that Jesus is offering forgiveness to us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. The second words that Jesus uttered from the cross were words of hope. There were two thieves that were nailed next to Jesus. And to one of those thieves, Jesus said these words, Today, you will be with me in paradise. That thief acknowledged his guilt. That thief cried out to Jesus, asking for mercy, and Jesus gave him mercy. You need to understand this morning that regardless of what you have done, regardless of how far you may think you've gone, if you will acknowledge your need, And you will cry out asking Jesus for mercy and grace. Listen, he will give it to you. He will always give it to you. The third words that that Jesus uttered from the cross were words of love. He said to his mother, behold your son. And he said to his disciple John, behold your mother. And in saying those words, he was letting us know even as he was in agony and pain on the cross... He was concerned with making sure that his mother was being cared for when he died. But he let us know not only that we have an obligation to those who are in our physical family. In saying those words, he was letting us know that our obligation extends beyond our physical family to those who are part of our spiritual family. Each and every one of us who are followers of Jesus have an obligation to make sure that that others who are part of the family of faith are cared for. Now the fourth words that Jesus uttered from the cross are, I believe, the most painful words ever spoken. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When, When Jesus was on that cross, He literally took all of the sin of all of the world upon himself. And when he did, for the one and only time in eternity, the Son was separated from the Father. Jesus knew what it was to be separated from the Father because of our sins. Jesus literally, listen, Jesus literally went through hell So that you and I could go to heaven. That's how much he loved us. Jesus' fifth words were words of agony and words of longing. He said, I am thirsty. But those words not only let us know that that Jesus suffered as a human like we suffer as a human. He was letting us know that there's nothing in this world that will quench our thirst. Remember, when Jesus took the sin of the world upon himself... He was separated from his father. And now he was ready for that separation to be over. 
He was ready to again experience that intimacy with his father that he had known for all eternity. And in saying that, Jesus was letting us know that we were not made for this world. And there is nothing in this world that is going to ever satisfy our thirst. That's why you can get all the money that this world can offer. You can have relationship after relationship. You can be powerful and you can rule people's lives and yet still be looking for something else because you were made for a relationship with the Father. But the word I want us to look at today, the final word in this series is a word of victory. So listen to what it says in John chapter 19, verses 29 and 30. It says a jar of sour wine was sitting there, so So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released, gave up his spirit. It is finished. Three words in English, one word in Greek, tetelestai. But understand, it is finished wasn't a cry of a victim who has been defeated. It was a cry of a victor who had won the victory. I believe with all my heart, if Jesus hadn't been nailed to that cross, he would have taken his fist and pumped it up to heaven, and he would have said, it is finished to tell us die. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Tetelestai is is a word that comes from the Greek word teleo, which means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. It it means to, to bring to a successful end a particular course of action. It is the word that we would use if we had climbed to the top of Mount Everest. We would say tetelestai. It is the word that we would use if we had just completed and turned in the final draft of our doctoral dissertation, we would say, Tetelestai. It is the word that we would use if we had made the final payment of our house payment, Tetelestai. It is the word that we would use if we had just completed our very first marathon, Tetelestai. This word doesn't mean I survived. This word means I did it. I did exactly what I set out to do. In Jesus' day, it was a word that a servant would use when he was reporting to his master, I've completed the task you have given me. It is the word a priest would use when he would look at an animal and he would say this animal is perfect. It is ready to be sacrificed to Telestai. It is a word that an artist would use when he looked at a painting that had just been finished to Telestai or a writer had just been completed writing a a novel to Telestai. It is a word that, that a judge would use when a criminal had finished his sentence to Telestai. It is a word that a merchant would use when a payment had been made in full for something that had been purchased to Telestai. But understand, when Jesus said this word, to Tetelestai, it is finished, he was saying more than just, I've completed the task. He was saying more than just, it is over. You see, this word is in the perfect tense. In Greek, that's significant. 
Because it means that it is something that happened in the past but has continuing results. You see, when something happens in the past, we say, it happened, it's over, it's done. But when it happens in the perfect tense, what that means is it's happened, but its results are still happening today. When Jesus said to Telestai, he said, it is finished in the past, it is finished in the present, and it is finished in the future. He is saying, it is finished. But there's something else Jesus said here. Jesus didn't say, I am finished, meaning that it's over, I'm about to die, I'm overwhelmed, I'm ready to give up. No, he said, it is finished. The battle is over. It is finished. The task has been completed. It is finished. The debt has been paid. But here's what you need to understand about this word. It is finished to tell us die. We could spend days, we could spend months, we could probably spend years, and we would never be able to completely unpack what this word means. That's how lofty, how grand this word is. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. He said that this one word would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain it. And then he said this, it is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. In other words, Charles Spurgeon, this lawyer turned preacher who was the prince of preachers, was saying that we could study this word forever and ever and ever, and we would never be able to fully understand everything that Jesus was saying when he yelled out from the cross. It is finished. But there are four things. There are four things that I can tell you this morning that Jesus was saying beyond a shout of a doubt. And these four things, when we properly understand them, can absolutely change our lives. So what was Jesus saying? First of all, when Jesus said it is finished, he was saying that God's promise was kept. God keeps his promise. Now, if you look at the Old Testament without the lens of Jesus, the Old Testament is going to be confusing. It's going to be hard to understand. I mean, to look at the Old Testament without Jesus is kind of like walking through an art gallery looking at half-painted pictures. We see part of the picture but we don't see the full picture. And, and so we can't understand what the artist is trying to convey. But when Jesus came on the scene, Jesus completed the picture. And there were things that were painted in the Old Testament that were impossible to understand. That became possible to understand because of Jesus. For instance, Genesis 3. The serpent had deceived Adam and Eve, and, and sin came into the world. But God made a promise. God said, one day, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, can you imagine reading that and trying to figure out what that meant before Jesus? You're reading that, and you're going, seed of woman, seed of woman, what in the world is this saying? 
And what in the world is, is he talking about when he says this seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent, but then Jesus comes along. And Jesus, the seed of woman, crushes the head of Satan on the cross. He makes the picture complete. He helps us understand it. Or what about Genesis 12 when God says to Abraham, through your family, I will bless every family on the earth. Now here's what I know. Before Jesus, Abraham's family wasn't a blessing to everybody on the earth. I mean, goodness gracious. Even though they had some, some moments of, of great highs as a nation, Israel was really just a, a second-class nation. And, and at present, when Jesus came onto the scene, they were in bondage to Rome. But then Jesus came, who was of the line of Abraham. And through what Jesus did, every family on earth can be blessed. Or what about what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 7? He said, the virgin will conceive and, and bear a son, give birth to a son, and he will be Emmanuel, God with us. What? A virgin giving birth? How can that be? And this virgin will have a son and it will be God who walks among us? God walking among us? How? What? How could this happen? And then Jesus comes. And Jesus completes the painting. Or what about Isaiah 9? Where Isaiah tells us that one who is coming who is the wonderful counselor. And we say, okay, we understand that. But then he says, he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. What? Isaiah, how is, how is one going to come to earth who is the mighty God? How is the father of all creation going to come to earth? But in Jesus, he did. And then in Isaiah 53, listen to what it says. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment to God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Every promise about the Messiah was fulfilled in Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of promises. And Jesus fulfilled them all. You see, God keeps his promises. Now, why is this important to us? Two reasons. One, it lets us know that Scripture can be trusted. It's trustworthy. When you read God's Word, you can take it to the bank. It's true. It's dependable. What it says is coming from the very mouth of God. And just as what God said about Jesus coming the first time was true, what God says about everything else is true. But there's another reason this is important to us. Because not only did the God who gave us the Bible say that Jesus was coming the first time, he said Jesus was coming again. And he is coming again. And when he does, he will make 
everything right. Amen. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he was looking back through every Old Testament scripture. And he was saying, completed, 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 completed. And after he went through several hundred, he said, it is finished. I've done them all. So God kept his promise. The second thing this phrase, it is finished, means is sin's payment was made. You see, from the very beginning of time, God promised man that if man sinned, man would die. And you know the story. Man sinned. And because man sinned, it brought death to the human race, and it brought the curse of sin into the human race. And we are told over and over again in the Old Testament that the soul, the person that sins, will die. That's a promise. But God was merciful. God was gracious. And God provided a way to cover up our sins. And that way was the sacrificial system. The blood of animals could be sacrificed to cover up, to hide the sins of the people. And so every year the high priest would make a sacrifice that would cover all of the people. But month after month, week after week, day after day, individuals would make sacrifices as well at the temple to cover their sins. Now these sacrifices, they never took away the sins. They just covered them up. They just hid them. The debt was still there. It just postponed the inevitable. It postponed the debt. Kind of like, kind of like this. Say you're a spendthrift. You like to spend money. And you know, don't you, that it's easy to get credit cards today, isn't it? And so you like to spend money. It's easy to get credit cards. And you get you a number of credit cards. And you rack up credit card debt to the point that you can't pay the debt. And so what do you do? You make the minimum payment. You make the interest payment. And the interest payment doesn't take the debt away, does it? The debt stays there. But what the interest payment does is it just postpones the inevitable. One day, someday, you're going to have to pay the debt... But as long as you make the minimum payment, you're okay today. And the sacrifices of animals was the minimum payment. The sacrifices of animals covered up the sins for a season, but they didn't take them away. But then Jesus came. And Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here's what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. You see, the death we deserve, the punishment that we had earned was paid by Jesus. The debt we owed the Father was wiped away because of what Jesus did. Think of your life as a ledger. And in one column is all of your sins. Start with the little ones. And then go to the big ones. 
And if you're like me, you've got a lot of them. And by each of those sins, I want you to, in your mind, move over to the other side of the ledger. And I want you to write, paid in full. You see, all your sins were paid in full on the cross. Abortion, paid in full. Adulterous affair, paid in full. Lustful thoughts, paid in full. Alcoholism, addiction, paid in full. Anger, bitterness, paid in full. Self-righteousness, pride, paid in full. Rebellion, disobedience, paid in full. All of my sins, all of your sins were paid in full when Jesus was on the cross. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. We needed someone to wash our sins away. Now we sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Christ Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. You see, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, what he was saying is your sin debt has been paid in full. There's no need for any other sacrifice. God's promise was kept. A deliverer is coming. Check. Sin's payment has been made in full. Check. But there's a third thing Jesus said when it is finished. I believe he was saying that Satan's power was destroyed. You see, we often think when Jesus died on the cross, he took away sin's penalty, but we have to stay under sin's power. And that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, why would Jesus defeat Satan on the cross only to allow him to continue to rule in our lives for many more years? You see, when Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, he not only paid the price for our sins, he overwhelmed Satan and destroyed Satan's power over your life. This is what it says in Colossians 2. You were dead because of your sins. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, listen, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You see, when Jesus was on that cross, he didn't defeat Satan for him to continue to rule in your life. Jesus defeated him for all time. Satan no longer has power over you. Satan no longer has to rule in your life. Sin no longer has to conquer you. Child of God, listen up. You don't have to live under the control of sin anymore. Jesus' death has set us free from the power of sin and death. It's finished. Satan no longer has power over you if you're a child of God. But there's a final thing Jesus said when it is finished. I believe Jesus was saying, my purpose is fulfilled. You see, Jesus had been given a mission in heaven. The Father has said, I want you to go to earth. I want you to be born of a human. I want you to live a perfect life and fulfill all the requirements of the law. 
And then I want you to give your life as a ransom, a sacrifice for the world because no one else can meet the requirements of the law. And Jesus said, yes, Father. And he came to this earth. And from the moment he was born, Jesus set his eyes toward Calvary. He had one mission. He had one purpose. And that was to fulfill the requirements of the law and to make sacrifice for our sins. And that's what Jesus did. In John chapter 4, it says this, Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing His work. Jesus said, there's one thing that drives me. There's one thing that lights me up. There's one thing that keeps me going. I've got to finish the work that the Father has given me. And what was that work? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to take the law away. Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements of the law. In Romans chapter 10, verse 4, it says this, For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in Him are made right with God. Another translation of that says this, Christ is the end of the law, so there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He fulfilled the requirements of the law so that we don't have to. He died so that we could be free. He died so that we could live without the power of Satan and the penalty of sin over our life. He died so that every promise of God could be kept. Jesus finished the work. Barcelona Olympics. Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond was a, a British sprinter. He held the world record for Britain at the time. And when the Barcelona Olympics were taking place, he was the favorite to win the gold medal. And when the, the starting gun sounded and the race started, Derek Redmond was winning the race. So something tragic happened. He tore a hamstring. He fell to the track. If you've ever pulled a hamstring or tore a hamstring, you know the excruciating pain. He was there on the track in agony. It was obvious that something horrible had happened. Everybody in the stands were simply watching in silence. The security guards came to try to help him up, and he shooed them off. He got up, and with one good leg and a leg that was just dragging behind, he tried to continue the race. The security guards tried to get him, and he pushed them off. And then an older man came on to the track. He was wearing a t-shirt that said, have you hugged your kid today? He knelt down beside Derek Redmond and he said, son, you don't have to do this. Derek Redmond looked at his father and said, yes, I do. I've got to finish the race. And his son said, if you're going to finish it, we're going to finish it together. And he did. He continued around the track. 
He made it across the finish line. And when he made it across the finish line, hundreds of thousands of people stood and applauded as he made it across. I don't know. But I imagine when Jesus was on that cross in those last minutes of his life, his father, who was seeing all of the agony and all of the pain, maybe just maybe looked down at his son and said, Son, you don't have to do this. And Jesus looked to his father and said, Yes, I do. His father said, Then we're going to do it together. And Jesus said, Into your hands. I commend my spirit. And he died. He finished the race. And I, I can just picture up in heaven right now the throngs of angels, hundreds of thousands of them clapping and cheering and bowing and crying as Jesus finished the course, finished the race, accomplished the task, he set out to accomplish so that you and I could have eternal life. You see, when Jesus said, it is finished, he was saying every promise that God has made has been kept. He was saying that the penalty of sin has been paid for through my blood. He was saying that the power of Satan has been destroyed and you don't have to live under his control anymore. And then he said, my task is complete. And it was only then that he commended his spirit to his father and died. He finished. Because he finished, you and I have hope. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, Emmanuel God in the flesh gave his life, paid the price so that you could live the way God created you to live in the first place. I beg you, I plead with you, don't leave here this morning without responding to his love and his mercy and his offer of grace because he loves you. He created you for so much more than this world. And by the way, Easter, Easter is proof that he finished. That he did what he said he was going to do. Because if he didn't, he would still be in the ground. But he's not. And we have hope. And we can have joy. We can have peace. And we can have everything that we were created to have. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, the one who shed his blood on the cross so you could be forgiven, I want to encourage you right here and now to humble yourself and trust Jesus to save you. You can pray a prayer like this. Dear Jesus, I come to you today humbly asking you to forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I believe you came to this earth, Jesus, shed your blood on the cross, died in my place so that I can be forgiven.
Jesus, I believe that you paid the ultimate price so that I could live forever. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.